Lights, camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome back to Lights Camera Asia. I'm Jake Chan. We started a new miniseries on this show two weeks ago, and the focus of the series, as I previously said, is on the gangster films that are produced in Asia. Last week, we took a first look of a film called Young and Dangerous. It is the first of a gangster film series that is made in Hong Kong, China. And is one of the most influential gangster film series from the region. The film later on spawned a total of five sequels, as well as a large number of spin-offs, because the audience simply couldn't get enough of these characters. They kept on asking for more to see the next chapters in the stories that these characters are involved in. So, without further ado, let's continue with the film story. In order to understand just what makes it a cultural phenomenon that it later on became. Last week, we stopped about a bit after the halfway mark of the film. It is a point where the film's protagonist, Hao Nan, a young gangster, has been robbed of almost everything in his life. To quickly recap, Hao Nan and his fellow gang members kill a rival gang boss at the beginning of the movie. And a murder has since triggered an avalanche of vengeful action from a man called Quan, who is a friend of the murdered gang boss. And it turns out that what Quan is capable of really is much more insidious than the group expects. In a matter of days, the group is set up in an ambush, which leads to one of Hao Nan's good friends being killed, and Hao Nan has also been set up in an affair, which tarnishes his reputation and leads to a fallout between him and his best buddy, who is nicknamed Chicken. The most vile part of Quan's revenge is that he tracks down Hao Nan's boss and kills his whole family. So Hao Nan's life really is thoroughly ruined at this point. He lost many of his friends. His boss has been murdered. His reputation is totally ruined, and many in the gang are still after his life. He himself is also severely injured in the ambush and is now forced to go into hiding in order to stay safe. His world has fallen apart, and a chance to avenge his fallen brother and boss, who was like a father figure for him throughout the first half of the movie, seems like a lost hope at this point. In fact, Quan has made sure that Hao Nan wouldn't even get a chance to properly commemorate his late boss. During the funeral procession, Hao Nan showed up to pay respect. However, it is at this point that Quan and his group of gang members also made an appearance, and they made it the point to speak in a manner that's highly disrespectful to smear the reputation of the deceased. Their act infuriates everyone in attendance, especially Hao Nan, because it is a blatant disrespect towards him and the deceased boss, and is totally unnecessary. To put it in a cultural context, there is this very popular saying in Chinese culture, which says "死者为大 It roughly translates into, "The deceased is the most important." 
this means that at someone's funeral procession, people are expected to show the highest level of respect and put all their grudges aside. Therefore, when Quan shows up to deliberately speak ill about the deceased, it is clear that he did so on purpose to add insult to an already painful injury. At this point, Hao Nan can't really control the urge, so he tries to hit him. However, he couldn't get through the bodyguards and reach Quan in person. Days later, Hao Nan gathers several of his old pals to plan revenge against Quan. However, his old body said that they can't really do anything at this point because of the heat. The police are bearing down on them very closely amidst the recent violent activities, and there is very little chance that they can do anything that's unlawful. Just when Hao Nan is getting desperate, a fleek of black sedans park on the side of the road, and a group of men dressed in black suits leave the vehicle and walk towards him. The leading man in the center throws a gold watch to Hao Nan, and as he catches it, he recognizes that this is a gift that he given to his best friend Chicken before the two had a fallout. Chicken has since then fled to the nearby island of Taiwan, and no one has heard anything from him since. Chicken walks over to Hao Nan and hugs him, and tells him that he has decided to let go of their previous grudges and to help him out. After much planning, the pair finally corners Quan one night, and they had convinced one of his henchmen to provide testimony for the atrocities that he had committed. Quan realizes that he's in a difficult situation, but being as cunning as he is, he understands that he's outnumbered, so he tries to talk his way out of the jam. He first tries to invoke some sort of camaraderie with Hao Nan, reminding him that they've been part of the same gang since Hao Nan was as young as a teenager. The latter responded by saying that he does remember everything, including the part where Quan hit his head with a Coca-Cola bottle during their first scuffle. With that said, Hao Nan grabs the bottle and returns the favor. <laughs> When Hao Nan slams Quan on his head, Quan seizes a brief window of opportunity and grabs one of Hao Nan's friends and puts a gun to his head. He is desperately trying to get out of the situation, and now with a hostage in hand, his chance dramatically increases. But just as he drags the hostage around, a police officer approaches him from the side and warns him. Quan tries to flee and was gone down by the police officer. A pandemonium breaks out briefly around the shooting, and Hao Nan and his friends walk away from the scene. The movie ends at this point, and the credit begins to roll. I could imagine the question on the mind of some of our listeners. Because judging by the plot of the film, it really is like an average revenge thriller wrapped in a gangster film facet, 
So I guess some of you might be wondering, what is the big deal about this movie, and what makes it the cultural phenomenon that it is? I think the answer lies in the presentation of the movie and its intended audience. In the few audio segments that we played throughout the show, you could probably hear that the film doesn't really have a high production value. Much of the conversation was recorded in post, and the audio as well as the sound effects were mostly very loud and crisp. It was very low quality. But the flip side of the low quality production was that the director had a lot of room and flexibility to leave their personal signature on the movie. And they've decided to present the underground world of Hong Kong with a level of glitz and glamour that is not unlike that of Goodfellas, the famous gangster film directed by American filmmaker Martin Scorsese. Everything up until the part when our protagonist suffers a huge setback is glamorized. When he kills a rival gang boss, his action and that of his friends are shot in a way that is very glorifying. All the main characters in the gang are these young, good-looking, and fashionable gangsters that are very attractive and appealing. And despite their career, their personalities are portrayed in a very positive light as well. For instance, Hao Nan, the main leader, is loyal to his friends and boss, chivalrous when getting his girlfriend out of a bind, and he almost always looks righteous when he decides to take action. So. When these young gangsters walk down the neon-lit streets of Hong Kong, fist pumping and knives waving, out to claim the head of people from a rival gang, they look more like models than someone for blood and illegal activities. While adults can certainly discern the difference between what's on the surface and how gang members really behave in the real world, the movie's target audience, which are mostly teenagers, have a much harder time to tell the difference. Young and Dangerous was a massive hit at the box office, and its popularity spawned not just sequels and spin-offs. It also brought about a large number of young people who imitate the styles and behaviors of those in the movie. After all, one thing that is both true in the film and in the real world is this. The large and arguably increasing wealth gap in Hong Kong left many youngsters stuck in environments just like that of the gangster in the movie. There are little rules nor adult supervision around them. There is also very little in the way of hope—the hope of making it out of the environment. So, seeing poor kids like Hao Nan growing up and maturing into gang members. Oddly enough, is something that is relatable to this particular demographic. In that lens, young and dangerous is both overly glamorized yet grounded in this very unfortunate reality. I hope you have enjoyed our coverage of this movie. It is the first of a long series of Asian gangster films that we will be diving into in the upcoming week. Our attention will stay in the film industry of Hong Kong, but we'll move forward chronologically in time to the new millennium. We will look at a new movie called Infernal Affairs. This one is also part of a film series, a trilogy, in fact, and the series has an even greater cultural impact than the Young and Dangerous series. 
Thank you once again for listening to Lights Camera Asia. I'm Jake Chan, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you.